I want to ask you guys a question this morning, and I really am interested in hearing what your answer is. What is your favorite vacation destination? Go ahead, if you're watching this live on Sunday morning, in the comments below or to the side, I don't know where they are, tell us your answer. What is your favorite vacation destination? Maybe you've been there once, maybe you've been there a hundred times. If you're watching now with us, you can chat with us, you can text us. If you're watching later on some platform that does have comments, go ahead and leave your comment there. And if not, uh, just go out to your mailbox and open it up and just scream your answer into it. And we'll get it that way. At the very least, it'll be cathartic for you. Have you ever been on a vacation where things start to take a turn and it always seems like that is the moment when somebody pipes up and says, you know, it's more about the journey than it is the destination. And at that moment, at the worst of times, that is just when you want to take that person and give them a great big slap in the face. Now here's the thing, we all know intuitively and from our past experience, that that's actually true. It is more about the journey. Life isn't about the final, ultimate destination. It's about the journey. Think back to when you were in high school, 16 years old. Maybe you were borrowing or stealing or you had your own car. What would you and your friends do right after you got your license? You would drive around town. You would go cruising because it was just something to do. No destination in mind. You were just hanging out, spending time with other people. If you've ever been on a trip with a large group of people, like think big stuff for you high schoolers who've been, that trip, the journey is just about half the fun. Getting there, everyone's excited at the same time, everyone's together and excited. It's such a great time. And then on the way back, everyone is so dog tired except for the one student who can't stop puking and has to wake you up every 20 minutes because she needs a new trash bag. Not that I'm bitter or anything. In fact, we knew back in 2012, my wife and I were expecting our first child and we were thinking very carefully and thoughtfully about what we would name her. And we chose something to illustrate exactly this point. Her name is Journey Sophia. Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. And it was kind of like we were making a prayer for her life, that her life would be a journey of wisdom, that throughout her whole life she would add wisdom to her character. Not that there was a final point where she would put the rubber stamp on it and say, I am wise. We knew and we know that life is a journey. It's not a final set of accomplishments or achievements or failures or a destination that we ever really arrive at. But in this moment, in this season of uncertainty, of COVID, of it seems like we all really could use a final destination, an aim, something that we're looking forward to rather than being on this carousel of life. Our life doesn't always work out towards our final destination, towards the thing that we're hoping to achieve, that we're trying to get to the state that we want our life or our family to be in. And our faith certainly doesn't look like that either. Our faith isn't an end goal, an end state where we are officially like Jesus. No, it's more of a progression, a journey, uh, a practice that we get 
better at and we get worse at and we get better at and we take steps forward and we get sucked back. Our faith is constantly a journey of growth, of practice, of getting up, of doing things right, of screwing things up. Our faith is not a destination, it's a journey. It's not perfection, it's practice. To that end, we've been reading through this passage for the last few weeks in 2 Peter. 2 Peter is a letter written by a guy named, uh, uh, yeah, you guessed it, Peter. He was one of Jesus's closest friends while he was here on earth. He's the Peter that walked on water with Jesus, that guy. And he's writing this letter to Christians everywhere. And among other things, he's talking about how to grow in their faith, to strengthen the faith that they have in Jesus, as we've been saying, to uh, level up their gameplay. And we've been dissecting this list of things that can grow us in our faith, things that Peter says each one will get us one step closer to Jesus. With that in mind, let's take a look at this passage again. Take it away, Chelsevics. Good morning, everyone. I am Tim Chelsevic, and this is Bo. Um, I like the new Iron Man. He likes Iron Man. I'm Bethany, and this is Sophia. So this morning, we're going to be reading to you from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort and come and come from. And come it's okay, keep going. Make every effort and come to confirm, to confirm your calling and elevation, um, election. For if you if you do these things, you you and your you will never stumble, and you will never receive. You the, will receive. You will receive the ritual. You the rich welcome into into the internal eternal. Ki eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Back to you, Elliot. Thank you so much, Tim, Bo, Bethany, Sophie. You guys crushed it. Couldn't have done better. And I like Iron Man, too. So we've been reading this passage every week, and probably it's sounding pretty familiar for you. I want to read it, this section that we're addressing, that we're investigating, in a different translation. This is the New Living Translation. And it says, In view of all this, Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision for moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. 
So we've covered five already of these seven qualities that Peter says, and today we're tackling the last two, brotherly affection and love for everyone. So let's start with brotherly love. And this word is, I can't make this up, I'm not kidding, is Philadelphia. It means brotherly love. That's actually what the city is. So all you Sunny fans, this one's for you. That word means the kind of bond, the kind of kinship, the kind of familial fondness that brothers and sisters have for one another. And it's not as a noun, a super common term in the Bible. It only occurs five times, and we just read one of them. So real quick, we're going to look and read the other four of them. It'll just take a minute. In 1 Peter 1.22, the same Peter in a different letter writes, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. In Romans 12.10, a really smart dude named Paul writes, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, that same Paul writes this, But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. And finally, in Hebrews 13, 1, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. So brotherly love isn't a new idea from the Bible. It was already around. It already existed. In fact, it was a really important concept for the Greco-Roman world 2,000 years ago. For the Romans, that love didn't extend past their relatives. I mean, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, your family is trying to survive, trying to, to build up wealth or power or influence or whatever. You're not going to want to spend time and energy and your finite resources to help somebody else's family get a leg up in this world. They're your competition. Why would you help them along. So for the Roman world, this was very limited to within their own direct families. A lot of you know I have a brother. He's four years older than me. His name is Eric, and he is awesome in a lot of different ways. Now, I haven't always felt that way about him. I mean, he's an older brother. I'm a youngest brother, so naturally we would fight, and I would annoy him, and he would beat me up. And I remember repeatedly, as we were kids, egging him on, egging him on, egging him on, until he would finally snap, and he would chase me, and I would book it into my room, close the door, and lock it behind me. And once he actually tried and almost succeeded to break down my door, there was a giant crack down the middle of it. I think he got in trouble for that. I don't know why. That doesn't make sense. Things haven't always been great between the two of us. But as he and I have grown up into adulthood and into families of our own, he is in so many ways a hero to me. He's a, he's a mentor. He's an example. He is just a friend that I know I can call him if I'm having trouble. I know I can call him if I need advice. I know I can call him if my car is broken down again. He is someone that I know is in my corner and I can go to him and I have so much love for him. He's my brother. In fact, when I moved to St. Louis, he was living here first and I actually moved in with him and his wife for like a summer. I think this picture right here captures so perfectly what that summer was like. Him and his wife, and then there's me. 
just tagging along for the ride. Eric's the kind of guy who will go out of his way to help a brother in need, who has literally come to pick me up on the side of the road at great distances, who's been there through thick and thin, who has always supported me. So I grew up, it was me and my sister and my brother. And the cool thing about getting married, I don't know if they told you this, is you get like a whole new set of family. They're called in-laws. And I honestly hit the jackpot when it comes to in-laws. I've got three great sisters-in-law. I've got great parents-in-law. And I got two awesome brothers-in-law. And it's like that relationship with Eric all over again. I know that they have the best interest of me and my family at heart. It truly is an extension of that family relationship, that brotherly love that Peter is talking about here. Now, the first Christians extended that brotherly affection beyond just their families. And they actually caught some flack from it too. They got hated on by the Romans for extending that circle of brotherly affection. They wouldn't just treat the people who they were born into the same family or married into the same family with this kind of brotherly love and brotherly affection. They would treat everyone who shared their faith as a brother, as a sister. That's why we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that's the lesson for you and me today, that we have a community of people around us, brothers and sisters in the faith, who are there to support us, who are there with our best interest at heart, with advice, with mentoring, with a shoulder to cry on, with just a sounding board when the kids won't stop yelling and school is not working out, and when things just seem like they're crumbling, we've got brothers and sisters who are there for us. So for us, we need to extend our circle of kinship. I like to use that word kinship because it really gets to that Roman idea that we are truly family. We are truly in this together. And we get to extend our circle of brotherly and sisterly love and affection outside of our blood relatives, outside of our in-laws, and into our family of faith. And we get that much more support and encouragement and love. So that's this mutual affection, this brotherly love, this support, this support and family relationship that we have within our community of faith. But Peter says we can't just stop there. He says we need to build on that brotherly, mutual, sisterly affection and build love on top of it. And the New English translation uses the words unselfish love for this word. And I just love how that sounds, how that resonates with me. See, this whole list has been building and building and building one item on top of the next. And this is finally the climax of the whole list. It's like this crescendo that we've been building and building to. It's the final piece. It's the cherry on top. If you're not much of a music buff, you might not be familiar with the term crescendo. It just means building and building and building and building. And I really wanna share with you this example. This is from Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It's the transition between the third and the fourth movements. And you can hear how this rumbling sounds 
troublesome. It sounds dark. It sounds like something is happening, something that may not be good. But then it starts to build, and it starts to build, and it starts to build. And before long, you have this triumphant, epic crescendo. That's what this word is at the end of the list. This crescendo, this climax, this final piece to the puzzle. It's love. And the word for love here is agape. And all that word means simply is this sacrificial, selfless, unselfish love. And many of us, when we think about love, the feeling comes to mind, right? Like I remember when I first saw Brandy and my heart just butterflies in my stomach and I just knew right then and there, this was it. Or something equally cheesy, right? A lot of the time we think about love in terms of romantic relationships or this emotion, this feeling of satisfaction of love, of support that we get from those around us. And yes, that is a part of it, but this kind of love is not just a feeling. It's an unselfish love. It's actually a sacrificial love. This is the kind of love that's used to characterize how God loves us with an all-out, all-encompassing, sacrificial, selfless Love that gives all and does all and is always there and is never-ending and is unconditional. That is the love that Jesus showed for us. That is the love that God has for us, so much so that he would send his son. It's the kind of love in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loved us so much, so totally and completely and he was willing to do whatever it takes. That's the kind of love Peter is talking about here. It's an active love, and it's one that is passed on from God to us, and he calls us then to pass it on to others. This is the kind of love that Jesus was talking about when he was asked a purposefully difficult and tricky question. In Mark 12, we read this account. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, side note, this is important that he is a teacher of the religious law. He was an expert in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. He would have known it backwards and forwards. He would have memorized every page of it, every single command. If there was anyone in that society who would have known the answer to this question, it would have been this teacher of religious law. And he's asking Jesus this question in order to trip him up, trying to get him in a tight spot. Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So this is that agape kind of love, that sacrificial, selfless, all-out, wholesale, total and complete love of somebody else. It's the, the love we get from God, 
and we pass it on to others. It's like that movie, Pay It Forward, from the 90s, I guess. Oh, I'm old. One of the most famous passages about love in the whole Bible is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In it, that same Paul from earlier says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's that agape love. And if you notice, none of those qualities, none of those things about love are a feeling, are an emotion. They're all actions. They're all things that people do, not how we feel. This is the love that Peter is telling us to build as the final piece into our faith. This love that's unselfish, that's sacrificial, that is all out. Do something for somebody else, even though it might not benefit you, even though it may set you back a little bit. This is the love that God gives to us that we are called to give to other people. So for brotherly affection, we were talking about how we can extend our circle of kinship beyond just our family, into our family of faith. And Peter's also saying that we need to exercise our unselfish love. That kind of love that God has given to us, that kind of love that we are called to give to other people. Love for everyone. And notice that here we're exercising our unselfish love. It's not a state that you're going to arrive at. It's more about the journey than it is about the destination. We're not going to love perfectly. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to get it right. But we'll get better with practice. It's about practice over perfection. And I think that's what I love most about growing up, getting older and having more interactions with people who are different from me. The more I grow, the more empathy I feel to love other people in this unselfish kind of way. So maybe some of us need to extend our circle of kinship. Maybe some of us need to practice and exercise our unselfish love. Which is it for you today? What's that one thing that you could do? So this passage we've been looking at for the past few weeks, the literary device it uses is called a sorites. And mispronouncing things is kind of my jam, so feel free to let me know in the comments below whether or not I got that right. And I'm here at Fort Bellfountain in North County to illustrate why I love this literary device so much. See, this is the first military outpost west of the Mississippi, and it's actually where Lewis and Clark began and ended their expedition all those years ago. And this staircase is this beautiful, massively tall set of stairs that I think points out one of the things about this passage that's so important to understand. See, a sorites is a set of qualities or propositions all building one on top of the other. A lot like a set of stairs. And I love this illustration, this picture that it brings to my mind for a couple of different reasons. First, it makes sense and it feels right. It absolutely feels like life should be. This set of stairs, this set of steps that I can take to get to my ultimate destination, 
and it seems the way life should be. But it also points out how different life actually is. How life actually doesn't work in a linear fashion. Life and our faith doesn't really work in a set of steps that we take one after the other, and this is the prescribed sequence that we do it. It's not a sequential thing. It's not a linear thing. Life is so much more complicated. See, the truth is that, yes, these are all steps that we can take one after the other, maybe, but there's no real order. There's no place that we arrive at being loving. There's no place that we arrive at being good or wise. None of that stuff. Life is, yes, a stair state, a set of stairs, but it's not a defined destination. See, all of these steps are good steps to take. They're all really valuable things that we can add to our faith. But they all build on one another. They all strengthen each other. And each time we take a step in one, our faith gets that much stronger. Each time we take a step in another, our faith is strengthened in that way. Yeah, it's a staircase. It's a set of things that we can do, but they all strengthen and go together. And love is this final cherry on top piece that wraps everything else together and encompasses all of the other steps. And if we truly want to level up our faith, we need to practice love throughout the journey. If we want to have this faith that is stronger, that is more resilient and brings us closer to God, the whole process, the whole journey has to be filled with love. And we're exercising it, right? We're practicing it. We're not going to get it right every time. We're going to fall off the bike at some point, but we have to get back up, try again each day. So if you've been following along with this series, you know we've been looking at this list of seven items almost like a calendar, right? We've got five things that we've discussed already, and today is sort of like the Friday and Saturday of the week. And the idea is that we each day wake up and say, I'm going to focus today on trying to incorporate goodness. I'm going to focus today on trying to incorporate wisdom. I'm going to focus today on trying to incorporate brotherly love. Each day we can challenge ourselves to incorporate one more of these qualities and grow our faith throughout the week. So the challenge for Friday is I'm going to wake up and I'm going to ask myself, how can I build a stronger relationship with a brother or sister in Christ? And I'm going to take that one step to try and build that, to try and strengthen my faith, their faith, our relationship, and, and mutually grow together. How can I build that brotherly, sisterly, mutual affection in that relationship? And on Saturday, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to say to myself, today I'm looking for opportunities to practice this unselfish love to whoever I may come in contact with. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's somebody at the store, someone I haven't even met yet. But I'm going to be on the lookout for those opportunities. And some days and some qualities we may do better than some others, but this whole journey of faith isn't a destination that we're arriving at, isn't a final plot on a map, isn't a final state that we can rest in. No, this life of faith, this life in general, is a journey. And we can ask ourselves each and every day, what's that one step that I can take 
to love God or to love others, to take my faith to that next level.